Hi everyone, welcome back to Provident Money Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Isaac, Associate Advisor at Provident. So join with me today is a very special guest, or should I say familiar guest, Christopher Tan, CEO of Provident. Hi Yay. Chris. I'm now on the hot seat, not you. So the yeah. table has turned. Yeah, so uh, I was just I was just sharing uh, you know with a few of my colleagues like okay so last in the last episode I was the guest and mm. you were the host mm. so now that you know like you mentioned the tables have turned mm. so how do you feel how do you feel having a co-host you know having to to help you, you know, in the past you were mm. doing this all on your own yeah I'm very happy because I don't have to do this on my own I mean someone someone is sharing my burden so uh, it's great lah they have to, don't have to do this every week and I think the listeners they are quite happy not to hear my voice every week. Yeah, so from my understanding, okay, correct me if I'm wrong. So you're not uh, wrong. You, <laughs> you have done a lot of uh, media uh, interviews, and mm. people are always asking you questions. And within Provident, you know, you're always the one that is interviewing our staff. So is this the first time that a staff is interviewing you? Wow, actually, come to think of it. Yes, I think yes. This is the first time someone in Providence, they are or this person is interviewing me. So the answer is yes. <laughs> okay, on it, on it. Okay, so today's episode would be about Providence journey, mm. and just uh, a bit of background about Providence. Providence was founded in two thousand one as Singapore's first fee-only wealth advisory firm. So for our listeners who want to learn more about why Provident used the fee-only model, you can refer to Season 1, Episode 44 in this podcast. So this episode aims to dive deeper into how Provident started, the Singapore advisory landscape compared to other countries, challenges faced today, and the importance of culture within the firm. So Chris, over two decades ago, you and the founding team started Provident as Singapore's first fee-only wealth advisory firm mm. in an environment where commission-based firms dominate the entire advisory landscape. Mm. So let's begin with um, who are the members of the founding team and what gave you all the conviction to venture into this uncharted territory? Yeah, so I mean, Provident, when we first started, it was in 2001, and it was one of my co-founders. His name is, uh, his name is Aaron. He's no longer with the firm now because sometime in 2009, he decided to leave the firm and to, be, um, to become a full-time church worker. Yeah, but uh, at about the same time when Aaron and me started a firm, we have another, I can't remember now, maybe uh, four or five other so-called founding directors. Yeah. Yeah, so they are still with us today. Uh, namely, the deputy uh, deputy CEO, uh, Evelyn, uh, and also we have uh, Vincent, who is now the head of uh, the advisory team. Uh, we have uh, May Queen, one of our senior client advisor, but uh, she is a director uh, of Provident, and also Eleanor, who is an associate director of Provident, and she is also a senior client advisor, or rather a client advisor that is very senior. So these people, we started about the same time. Uh, and they are still with us today. I see. So, uh, what gave your you know, especially so many of your uh, were you all working together uh, before? Um, yes, interestingly, but we were not from the same agency. Uh, uh, many okay. of I think the listeners know that I started a career in the insurance industry. Yep. That was back in March of nineteen ninety eight. 
Uh, back then, of course, you want to practice financial planning. You want to practice advisory. You can only either join the banks or you join the stockbroking house, or you join the insurance company. So I joined the insurance company, one of the agencies, and became a Thai agent. Yep. And the founding members of Provident, they were all from the same insurance company, but from different agencies. But how I got to know them was uh, we were asked to be facilitator for a Christian uh, mission course. Mm. Uh, we are all Christians, and we met at the Christian course, uh, and then somehow uh, we like each other. <laughs> uh, I think we like each other. Yeah, I hope they will agree that we like each other. And then when we started the firm, they decided to uh, leave. I was the first to leave the insurance company after three years, got tired, uh, left the insurance company, started Provident, and then they decided to join me not long after. I see. So from my understanding, uh, all of you were doing quite well in your previous uh, jobs mm. in the Thai agency. So mm. um, what gave you the conviction to, to venture out and to start this new company, you know, take this leap of mm. faith? Yeah, so when I joined the insurance company in 1998, I joined with the main purpose of giving advice. Uh, at least that was what I was told that you know if I join this particular agency, I will have a chance to give advice. But I realized that after three years, although I was earning a lot of money, uh, I was doing back in those days uh, uh, double MDRT. Now in the insurance industry, they recognize agents through awards like MDRT, Million Dollar Roundtable. Yep. If you do three times the commission of uh, an MDRT, uh, that's called COT, Court of the Table. And if you do six times equivalent of what an MDRT agent will earn, you are called a TOT, Top of the Table. So in the first year, I already did my MDRT and then subsequently I did about uh, two times MDRT every year. It was quite intentional that I didn't want to go for three times. I just wanted to spend like nine months working and then uh, the last three months, either I attend courses or I go traveling. Yep. So I was doing pretty well, uh, but I got tired. I got tired of just selling products. I got tired of just selling insurance product. I, I felt that I wasn't really giving advice. Um, and so I decided to leave. But what really, really triggered me leaving, and I shared this in a video which you can find on our website, was that I went to see a client and it was a, a pretty senior client. And this client has been very supportive of me. Uh, I think he likes me. And every time when I go back to him and recommend a product, he will almost always buy from me. So this time around, when I went back to him, he looked at the product, he put it down and he said to me, and he said, you know, uh, Chris, you know I like you, right? Uh, and whenever you come to me, I try to buy something from you. But at some point, I think I would have to stop buying insurance, right? So to me, that was the trigger uh, because he was right. And actually, I felt very bad because all this while, I thought that I was helping him. Yeah. Little did I know that actually he was helping me, right? At least that was the way he felt. He was helping me. Uh, he was supporting me. Um, but like what I said, uh, he was right. I mean, um, we can't spend our whole life buying insurance policies, right? At some point, we need to stop. Uh, so, so, so that sort of like motivated my decision that uh, I need to leave. If I really want to practice giving advice, I need to leave. And so I went to speak to my uh, co-founder, Aaron, yeah. and I said, Aaron, if we want to leave, we better leave soon. Because the longer we stay with the insurance company, the harder to leave because there's the recurring commissions and then the amount gets too big. I think if I have stayed too long, I wouldn't have found the courage to give up that compensation and, uh, and start Provident. 
Yeah, so that's really the story. Let's say for your ex boss, for example, like when you were when you said you want to leave, mm. how did he re- how did he react? Like I'm sure he will be like, ah, my you know one of mm. my good performers or mm. or top performers is leaving. Uh, how did he react when he's when you told him that you know you're gonna leave the company mm. and you're gonna start a fee only wealth advisory mm. firm? He said, "Good riddance. I'm glad that you are <laughs> leaving." Okay, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so my immediate boss was obviously quite upset. Right, because I did well, and in the insurance agency system, uh, losing an agent means you lose the override, lah. So of yeah. course he lost uh, his override on me, right? Or rather, he will lose his override on me. So he was quite upset. Uh, of course, he tried to stop me from leaving. Um, and yes, I mean I'm grateful. I mean he was the one who brought me into the industry. I'm grateful to him. But I told him that uh, my mind. Is fixed. Yeah, uh, I've decided that I want to go, right? So I know he was uh, he was quite upset with me. Um, my boss boss was also upset because of some later on because uh, people like Evelyn, Eleanor, uh, Vincent. So Eddie Eddie also left. Ed, Eddie, who is our head of solutions, also left to join me. So my boss boss wasn't too happy, of course. And he actually called Aaron and me into uh, his room and told us that you know uh, don't talk to our people anymore, don't bring them away. Uh, and we did promise him that uh, we are not going to come back and push any of your guys, and which we we didn't. Yeah, so that was the the reaction. Of course, many years have passed now. I mean, if we see each other either in conferences or we meet each other on the street. Uh, I mean, the relationship is cordial. Uh, cordial, but yeah. still, do you sense is still a bit of awkwardness? Or? Uh, okay, I've not met my immediate boss for a long time yeah. now. Yeah, but for my boss, boss, uh, no, uh, no awkwardness at all. Uh, I mean, he's a gentleman, and and nowadays, I mean, we talk very freely, and uh, we are we are on friendly terms. Yeah, so just I'm sure you know just back then when it was just so recent. Yeah, sure I mean, if I put myself in his shoes, I can understand how and why they feel that way. Yeah. Right. I mean, today if somebody comes in, uh, say Isaac, you leave, and then you start, you know, talking to all the staff here and pull everybody out. I mean, obviously, I will feel upset. Yeah. Right. Sure. But the fact yeah. is that we didn't. We we didn't speak to anyone. I didn't try to ask anyone to follow, uh, to follow Aaron and me, um, but it came anyway. So at that point in time, I think we felt a bit misunderstood, but I mean, on hindsight, I can understand how he felt or why he felt that way, lah. Mm. So um, obviously, it's a huge uh, leap of faith because, um, as you know, starting a company is a big risk. Um, so, if you don't mind me asking something a bit more personal, uh, you know, tell me. Uh, could you tell me what your family thoughts were at that time? You know, you you mm. you had a. I would say you're doing well in in your previous role, and now you are gonna start a company, and there is a chance that you know you could lose everything. Mm. And and how did they feel about that? I mean, it's been uh, twenty over years now. I can't really remember, but uh, generally, I would say that my wife was very supportive of me. I mean, he, she just wanted me to do what I uh, wanted. What you like, yeah. Um, and you know, the thing is, I had been successful in the three years when I was with the insurance company. Uh, I was very confident that I will continue to do well. I mean, at least that was what I thought back then. Um, 
and I convinced my wife that I can do it, right? And uh, since the first three years, I've got a good track record. I think uh, at that time uh, she believed me, so she let me do whatever what I wanted to do. But the fact is that it wasn't as easy, yeah, right? I mean, sure. if you read the Providence story, the first few years was really very tough for us. I mean, we started as a fee-only firm. Uh, we are the first fee-only firm in Singapore. We were the first, uh, we were the first, and today we are still the first. But back then, we had no brand, and nobody uh, would have imagined that a firm will charge for advice. So it was very tough in the initial years. Um, and my wife had to sell all his, uh, all her, all her jewelry. In oh. fact, the dowry, uh, in order for the family to survive. Because I poured my life savings uh, into the firm, and she sold everything except the the one piece of jewelry that uh, her late mother left for her. Um, but it was very tough. Yeah, and there was once I remember uh, my wife asking me. Or, I mean, she was not demanding. She was just saying, you know, how long are we going to go on like that? Uh, because I wasn't bringing back home uh, income or if I bring back home any income, it wasn't a lot. Uh, it was definitely not enough. Uh, we were really scraping the bottom and I had two kids and they were growing up and my wife asked me, you know, how long more? Because at some point, I need to stop. I need to bring home income to feed the family. I need to bring home income to bring up my children. Um, but I just told her that I can't stop. I have to carry on. Uh, I don't know why I had the faith that we will turn around. I guess that's just the entrepreneurial spirit, like, You know, we never say die. Yeah. yeah but I'm very grateful because uh, we could have failed, and I would have lost everything, right? And uh, my family would have suffered uh, a lot. Uh, but thank God uh, we survived. Yeah, there's a very touching story about how uh, not only yourself but also your your wife who. You know, I didn't hear of this story before. You know how she she sold off even her own jewelry mm. and and all that. So, um, yeah, very lucky man, Chris. <laughs> I am. I am very blessed. Yeah. So, um, so you know, obviously now that um, Provident uh, Trailblaze in this industry having survived and eventually thrived, um, how much has the Singapore advisory landscape mm. shifted as compared to let's say? 20 years ago when Providence started, you know, mm. because now that you all have, um, you have shown that it's possible mm. to survive and, and in fact do well, mm. uh, how much has it changed? Well, it has changed a lot and nothing has changed. <laughs> so I know that sounds uh, paradoxical, paradoxical yeah. but uh, it is true. It has changed a lot, right? It has changed a lot in terms of compliance. Uh, today, I mean, there are a lot of regulations uh, coming down hard on advisory firms to make mm. sure that we give proper advice. Yeah. Uh, we don't do the wrong things. But it's interesting that although it is the Financial Advisors Act that is supposed to regulate advice, a lot of the compliance is really about uh, regulating mis-selling. So you see, you know, the irony there because we are supposed to regulate and make sure advice is given properly. But yet a lot of regulation, uh, the, the regulations is really about regulating uh, mis-selling. Um, so that has changed. A lot of compliance. Yeah, sorry, uh, sorry to interrupt you. So mm. um, to regulate, uh, so what, what's the difference between regulating advisory and mm. regulating mis-selling? What do you mean by that? I guess when you regulate advice, uh, you're trying to see how we can give advice 
better. Yeah. But advice, in my opinion, is not always necessarily tied to a product. It's not necessarily tied to selling, right? But because in our industry, uh, somehow advice is synonymous with selling. So we have a lot of regulation to prevent advisors from mis-selling to make sure that uh, products are suitable. So I find that interesting because, um, well, I guess that's the state of the industry. Now, I'm not saying the government is wrong. I think we need to regulate selling, but uh, it sort of described the state of the industry that there is so much mis-selling that we have, we need tons of regulations to actually regulate that. Yeah. yeah, so in that regard, that has changed quite a bit. Also, if you compare to uh, 20 years ago, today consumers are a lot more educated. Mm. Uh, back in those days, internet, internet yes. Yeah. And also with the advent of uh, financial bloggers, YouTubers, right? So there's a lot of education. Uh, for free. For free. Yeah. A lot of knowledge you can easily uh, get from the website. You have podcasts that people listen to. Like this one? Are <laughs> like this one. Mainly this one. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, uh, and you have many communities you can join, right? Uh, so for sure, consumers are a lot more educated and that's, that's a good thing. Um, what else has changed? I mean, there are a lot more products than uh, as compared to 20 years ago. Mm. Our capital markets are today a lot more developed. Uh, back in those days, people are not familiar with ETFs, right? And even if they want to buy ETFs, not easily available for them to buy. Um, in the past, we don't have low-cost funds. Today, at least, we see some low-cost funds. Yeah. So these are the things that have changed. But yet, as I have mentioned, uh, a lot has not changed, right? What, what, have not, what has not changed? I think um, no one will argue that today, if you tell someone that you are working in the financial advisory industry, a lot of people will still say, oh, you're selling insurance. Right. Somehow, consumers still tie advisory with selling of a product, specifically insurance. And why is it that consumer thinks that way? Surely yeah, there must be some truth. Yeah, the stigma is there and for, for good reason that it's still there. Yeah. yeah, so I think that's because it is the same. I, I have... I mean, after 20 years, I've not seen a lot of changes in this area. Roadshows are still happening. Uh, and then you see people out there saying that we are giving financial advice. But I don't know how financial advice can be given via a roadshow. That's, well, if they say they are doing product advice, I, I can agree. But to say financial advice, canvassing prospects along the streets, I find it hard to accept. Right, and we still hear of plenty of uh, uh, churning that's still happening. Uh, we still read about uh, malpractices due to uh, the conflict of interest caused by commissions. I think that has not changed. Uh, we still see many salespeople or uh, so-called financial advisors touting their MDRT, TOT, T, uh, COTs and all that. Uh, I see on my Facebook uh, people sharing all the incentive trips that they have uh, gone to. I think that has not changed. There's still a lot of emphasis uh, on, uh, on sales. That has not changed. I still see uh, companies uh, giving away free gifts to entice people to buy product. Uh, that yeah. has not changed. 
So um, they reminded me of the recent trip that we made to Sydney. Um, just a bit of background is uh, our whole firm went mm. to Australia. Um, obviously, to it's an annual retreat is for us to to bond and mm. and also unwind a little. But also, we went to visit a few fee only wealth advisory firms. Mm. So from our discussions there, we we learned that oh, the Australian advisory landscape made a massive shift towards fee only wealth advisory over the past decade, mm. uh, mainly due to sweeping changes legislatively. Mm. Mm. So in your opinion, you know, based on what you just shared, you know, do you think that this is something that Singapore would eventually require? I think know? we tried. Okay, I think that happened, if I'm not wrong, if I remember correctly, that happened in 2013. Right, so Singapore have our own version of uh, the UK uh, change, they call it RDR. Uh, in Singapore, we call it FAIR, F-A-I-R, which stands for uh, the Financial Advisory Industry Review. Yeah. Right. So that review was supposed to look at the gaps in the industry and see how you know, the financial advisory industry can improve. Uh, and if I remember correctly, again, uh, there was, a, uh, during the review, I mean, this whole issue of banning commissions was brought up and the industry lobbied against this potential change. So today we still see uh, commission being allowed. Now, is that good or bad? I'm not sure, right? I would say I'm maybe 20 years ago, if you asked me, or in 2013, if you asked me, uh, I would say that's bad, right? I mean, I think all uh, financial advisors should be fee only or fee based. But after observing what has happened to UK and even in Australia, I mean, a recent trip, I asked uh, whether as a result of that, uh, many men in the street, they cannot get good advice. Right, and the answer was yes. And in the UK, uh, that seems to be the case, right? Because not many people can pay a fee for advice, right? So I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, I am still struggling to decide whether, uh, for the the entire financial advisory industry to turn fee only, I'm not sure whether that is the best thing. Now, but don't get me wrong, Isaac. I'm not saying commissions is good. Right, it Just presents the, a the better, conflict. There must of be a better way. I mean, it's not really. Um, yes, that's right. I mean, I think that the industry needs to admit to this fact that commission has that potential conflict of interest, and we need to find ways to mitigate it and not sweep it under the carpet and say no, no, no. It all depends on the integrity of the advisor and all. Yes, I mean, I understand that the integrity of advisor is important. In fact, the integrity of advisor is a given in our industry, but. We are human beings. We can be tempted. So there must be a better way to put in place a structure to mitigate this conflict of interest. Yeah, so I mean, that's my uh, thoughts on this. Yeah, it's very interesting because as many of our listeners know, uh, and, and probably we are all fans of the fee-only financial advice, so it's definitely, you know, conflict of interest being minimized because our clients are only paymaster, mm. transparent pricing structures, etc. But it's always refreshing to hear like, oh, you know, there are actually cons of that. La. Yeah, so um, I mean, this is our own experience as well at Provident. I mean, I'm still a strong believer that the fee-only way is the best way to mitigate conflict of interest. And that's why after 20 years, we are still fee-only, yeah. right? Now, however, um, it is true that being a fee-only firm, we have trouble serving the men in the street, right? Because they may not be able to afford the fee. 
And the truth is maybe they shouldn't need to pay a fee because their financial situation is so straightforward that they don't have to pay a fee to get advice, yeah. right? So like I said, um, there must be a better way. Um, we are thinking of a better way to see how we can benefit more people. Yeah, but uh, well, that's uh, for another time. I mean, we can discuss this another time. Yeah, so definitely. I mean, uh, in my in my time here, you know, every every like I've been manning the the main line. Mm. Uh, so sometimes we have call in. I always remember uh, you telling me that okay, so if their you know if their needs are straightforward, maybe they don't have um that much. But you know, just if you can help them by giving uh, general advice mm. using your expertise, just always try to help. Uh, you know. Whoever who calls in. Yeah, I mean, this morning I was just having that conversation over, uh, uh, I mean, with about 30,000 members in a community group chat. Yeah. Right, and people ask us, you know, why do you only take in people with a certain minimum investable assets? Yeah. So, I mean, I try very hard. I don't know that whether that was communicated clearly. It is not because we are arrogant. It is not because we are condescending. It's not because we look down on people with uh, lesser money. It's not that. It's just that it would be totally wrong to charge a few thousand dollars. Uh, and this person actually really don't need that complicated advice, right? I would feel totally wrong that this person pays her a few thousand dollars and the advice that we have given them is so simple. Okay, and so we use wealth as, uh, the amount of wealth uh, as sort of a gauge. Gauge of complexity. Of complexity. Yeah. I know it's not robust, yeah. but... I think that's a good place to start, right? Um, yeah, but if someone called Provident and this person might not have the wealth, uh, and I've always told all of you, right? I don't want this person to leave putting down the phone feeling lousy about himself that he doesn't have the wealth. I, doesn't want, I, I don't want him to go away feeling like we are very arrogant. Uh, I have told every client advisor, whoever that is taking the call, if we can help this person, if we can give this person general advice, we can point him to a direction whereby he can do something on his own. Let's just do that. Yeah. yeah. yeah so on top of that, like, you know, I also always um, highlight to them that you know, they can always go to our YouTube page, or Spotify, or listen to this podcast for any, you know, uh, it can really solve most of, of what they are looking yeah. for. Like, I mean, I just, I, I also want to add that, um, the founders, the founding members of Provident, we are all men in the street. We all started uh, as men in the street. Of course, today, as we become older, as we advance in our career, our wealth has grown. Um, but we all came from humble families. We are all heartlanders. Every one of us at Provident, today, we are still heartlanders. Right? So it cannot be that we look down on people who are men in the street. It is just that, like I say, they really shouldn't need to pay a huge fee to solve a very simple problem. Right, yeah. It's not, uh, also not, um, you know, it's not good for them, it's not good for, uh, for us as well. Like. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely not good for them. I will feel bad, right? If I if someone come to me and say this person is earning $3,000 income, $4,000 income, and I charge him four dollars $5,000 to do his work. I mean, it's just more than his one month's yeah. pay, right? And yeah. it's unnecessary. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, so in Provident, uh, you know, we always talk about culture, mm. right? So um, whether it's our huddles, whether it's our company uh, retreat, or even the annual client event, 
um, you highlighted the importance of culture within Provident. Mm. So in my previous workplace, um, you know, or rather workplaces, culture is often like a token initiative. You know, something that employees just uh, brush off. Uh, it's just culture. Uh, supervisors, they don't really uh, take it too seriously. Um, but here at Provident, you know, I was, you know, really taken aback by how how culture is taken very, very seriously. Like, um, there's hours and hours of meetings involving senior management, ensuring that our Provident culture is always at the forefront of every aspect of the business from recruitment to our daily work. Mm. So Chris, why is culture so important for Provident? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. And um, there are two reasons why I feel it is very important to strengthen culture. Uh, one is a business reason. Uh, I mean, it, it's, uh, it was Peter Drucker, the management guru, who said that culture eats strategy alive for breakfast. breakfast yeah. And what that means is that you can have the best corporate strategy. You can have the best plan. But if you don't have the people that can come together in unity to go and execute the strategy, the strategy will fail. So it is very important to build a strong culture so that we can execute the strategy properly. Because at the end of the day, it is all about execution. Right? And I might as well define culture here because culture is such a fluffy word. right? So yeah. you ask people what is culture. Uh, if you ask uh, anyone from any organization what, uh, what their culture is, they probably have like, different definitions. By Provident, I hope if someone asks Provident people, uh, what is our culture? I hope they will be able to define it properly and say that our culture is made up of our core values and our purpose. Right? Our core values is embedded uh, in this thing, what we call the spirit of providence, a strong mind, a passionate belief, inspiring one another to run the race independently, but yet as a team. Right? The core value. So if the entire providence people can live out that, uh, these core values on a daily basis, plus we are very clear of our purpose, the reason why we exist, then we have, in a way, formed our culture. And if a group of people come together and we agree that this is our culture, then we will be able to better execute the business strategy. We have a better chance of succeeding. That is why culture is so important. But I think what is lesser spoken about, maybe even in our firm, is that if everyone we agree with the culture and we lift out that culture we're all going to be happy to we're going to be happier together yeah uh, coming to work will be more enjoyable because we have the same way of thinking and you know Isaac we spend most part of our lives on a daily basis working Right, I mean, you come to work nine o'clock. You go back. By the time you reach back home, six, seven, eight o'clock. You take dinner, and then maybe you watch television, spend some time with your family. Then you sleep, and then the rest of the time you're back in the office again. Right? If you're going to spend a large part of our lives in the office together, we might as well do something meaningful, and we might as well uh, make sure that we really enjoy each other. Right. And how do we enjoy each other? I think the thing that will glue all of us together is the culture. Right. So 
these are the two aspects why I think uh, building a culture is so important. Yeah, so that's something I noticed about uh, the, the you know um, people in Provident. Like, you know, when you come to the office, it doesn't feel like, you know, if it doesn't feel like oh, you're going to just like do normal work because the work we do is like so purposeful and also like the culture of Provident, everybody is really very supportive of each other. Mm. Um, so, you know, like you mentioned, you know, we're going to be working until our retirement age, be it 55 or, mm. or 65. And a large part of our life will be mm. in our workplace. Yeah. So um, the, I remember the one thing that you always mention is that, you know, when you listen, when you hear about Provident, you know, don't just hear about, don't just hear from it from people who are still working there. Mm. Mm. You know, uh, you can ask about us mm. uh, from people who have left. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I mean, to me, that's the biggest, uh, the best testimony. Yeah. Right. And I hope and I believe so far, I mean, the people, sometimes you call them the Provident alumni. Right, people who have left. Uh, if you go to Glassdoor, you read about some of these comments. I mean, we don't really have bad comments. I mean, uh, the staff who have uh, left us, uh, they generally have good things to say about us. Uh, most recently, if you remember, we have an ex-staff who brought back uh, some cakes for us, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, she has left us for quite a number of years already. And she remembered us and she bought things for us, which I really appreciated her for doing that. But to me, it goes a lot to, uh, I mean, it speaks a lot about our culture, right? That people who have left us, they, they are still, uh, they still remember us and they still appreciate us and they still come back and visit us. Yeah. So, okay, thanks, Chris. So, um, lastly, I would like to talk about the future of Provident. Okay, so um, what is the vision of Provident, you know, when you conceive uh, this company and mm. how close are we in relation to realizing this vision? Yeah, so, uh, well, as you know, Isaac, I know you're asking a question that you already have the answer. Um, because I've sort of like put our vision into a formula, right? So the vision of Provident is equals to corporate values plus purpose plus achieving our big, hairy, audacious goals. Um, and what that means is that I think we would have achieved our vision if on a day-to-day -day basis, our people live out those core values strive towards our purpose and our purpose statement can be found on our website by the way and achieve those quantitative milestones mm. and the quantitative milestones for us is measured the big hairy audacious goals they are measured in terms of asset under management i think if we are able to achieve these three things then we would have fulfilled our vision now corporate values or core values plus purpose is really culture Right, and that I've explained. But that leaves the big, hairy, audacious goal. And I've shared with all of uh, us at Provident, why is it important for us to be big, right? And if you remember, I said this, right? Unfortunately, the world judge us based on what we have or do not have. Yeah. And because the world judge us based on what we have or do not have, we need to go out there and get everything that we need so that the world can listen to us. Because when we get the world to listen to us, we have that opportunity to impact the world. And that's what we really want to do. right? I really want to impact the world with the correct money values. And that is first making life decisions before making money decisions. 
that un- that we understand that money is an enabler, not a goal. Because if you choose money like a goal, when you get it, you may realize that it is like a ladder that is leading on the wrong wall, and that will be disastrous because you have a lot of money, but you fail in life. You are unhappy, right? But for the world to be willing to listen to a small firm like uh, Provident. We need to grow big in our AUM because, unfortunately, that's how the world judge people. Yeah, I think uh, recently, uh, just very recently, you know, we went to Australia and we went to visit firms, and um, you know, our size actually we are we're not that small. Yeah, we yeah. are not. We're not that yeah, small. We're anymore. not that small. Yeah, and and that's why you know when we visit, right? Uh, you know, with the the firms like they. They they treat us very seriously, and not only are they like telling us or how they do things there, yeah. But they're actually actively wanting to learn from us, and yeah. in terms of hospitality, um, you know, and 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 the way they treat us, you know, in I mean, it's quite realistic, lah. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. I mean, if you compare ourselves to twenty years ago, today we are more hurt, uh, and well, yes. Uh, partly it's because of heritage. We've been around for 20 years already. But I also believe it is because uh, we have grown bigger. But let me not stop there, Isaac, because uh, I would do a great disservice to listeners if I say that, uh, if I simply say, right, the world judges us based on what we have and do not have and therefore go out and get everything that you need so that the world will listen to you. Okay, that's true, but that's not the end. After we have gotten whatever we have, okay, it is important not to judge other people based on what they have or do not have because that's not right, okay. right? Yeah. We should not look at a person and we judge them based on the car they drive, the house they stay and the amount of money they have in a bank account. That is wrong. And then the final piece of uh, this whole quote is never let the world judge us based on what we have or do not have. Because what we have or do not have, they do not define us. That's not our identity. So I think that's very important. That makes it complete because we need to have, we need to have that sense of security that we are not defined by wealth, right? And we should not judge other people based on their wealth. But unfortunately, that's how the world judge people. So we go out there and get whatever we need. So that the world will listen to us, and then we can we can sort of like advocate this belief, right? So that's the third part. That is the big hairy audacious goal part. If we are able to do that, we get the world to listen to us, and if we can get our culture right, I think then we achieve the provident uh, the providence vision. Uh, and if you look at our purpose statement, we end our purpose statement with we want to be the light. Of the financial world, because I think that's how money should be viewed. Yeah. Today is quite messed up, right? And as a result of that messiness, uh, we have greed. And as a result of greed, we have financial system failing. And as a result of that, we have broken families. So that's what we are really trying to do at Provident. Okay, so uh, to not end the episode on uh, such a, a grim note, <laughs> uh, maybe you know the, the, we can end off with um, you describing the state of provident that will make you feel like you know mission accomplished. You know your 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 dream for the organization has has been realized. Yeah, maybe in in just 
uh, a couple of sentences. Yeah. If you remember from our, uh, uh, the retreat, I said it doesn't matter whether we achieve the quantitative goal. It's a goal. It's how we achieve it that is that most important. Yeah. So based on that, I think we have already in a way achieved our vision because I see everyone in the Provident family living out that core values, set of core values. We're all very clear of our purpose. Right, in one mind, we are going after our big, hairy, audacious goal. And our DNA is right. We know what we stand for. So uh, I think we are already there. But if I have to define, like, you know, uh, at what stage do I really see, okay, we have achieved our vision. Then I'll say, when I see the second line of leadership, they rise up beyond the current uh, founding members and then they take over the firm and they share the same vision and I think uh, our job is done and we are successful okay thank you so much Chris for your time today and uh, that's all for this week's episode hope you enjoyed our discussion on Providence journey if you like this episode please follow our podcast and follow us on social media for similar content as always thank you for listening And I'll see you in the next episode. All analysis, views or opinions from interviews, recommendations and other information broadcasted, broadcasted or published herein are provided for general information purposes only. Information expressed does not take into account any specific situation, particular needs or objectives and should not be construed as specific advice or a recommendation. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal or tax professional before taking any action. Provident Limited does not accept any liability for any loss whatsoever arising from any of use of the information broadcasted, broadcasted or published herein. All contents and information contained herein may not be copied or reproduced in whole or in part by any means without prior written consent of Provident Limited.